Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast, hosted by Sixers Wire USA Today Sports Media Group. I am your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. I have my guy with me, Cameron Fields, as always. Cam, what's up, bro? Hey, nothing much, man. You know, I was kind of uh, sad for a little bit last night because the Call of Duty servers were down briefly. I was <laughs> like, I don't know what's going to happen with my life tonight, but <laughs> eventually they, they got up, so I was like, all right, we're good. We're good. You know who doesn't have that issue is Call of Duty Black Ops 1. Hey, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd much rather play the superior game, so. I'm just saying, I got to round 20 on 5 last night. So, you know what? I mean, I'm going to take that as a accomplishment. That map is hard. All right. So, today we have a very special guest on with us for today. He is the editor of our sister site, Rookie Wire. He does a hell of a job over there. He's stationed down in Orlando helping you out with all your rookie needs and your rookie issues hopefully the magic will have a rookie next year this year's rookie was hurt the whole year my guy cody taylor what's going on cody not too much guys i appreciate you guys having me on looking forward to it all right so on today's episode cody we're talking rookies we're talking nba draft um we're talking sixers rookies we're talking potential sixers draft prospects things like that so as a guy who obviously, you know, your specialty has kind of been the rookies uh, this year, what have been your thoughts on Matisse Thibel this year? He's, he's, like, he's blossomed as one of the best perimeter defenders really in the entire NBA. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and Matisse has been a guy that I've – he's such an entertaining guy. Um, you know, his personality is, is so unique, and he's very outgoing. And so I think he's a very likable player in that regard. And then – you see what he does on the court and oh by the way as you mentioned he is one of the top 15 top 20 however you want to classify him one of the, the top perimeter defenders in the league and so I remember writing at the beginning of the year he was he was you know among the leaders in steals defensive rating and so on and so forth and in my I wrote a 10 bold predictions uh, prior to the season and I believe I had him like top five in steals among all players, not just rookies, because that's how that's what he brought to the Sixers this season. And of course, you know, his playing time was was up and down throughout the year and he really didn't pan out in that prediction that I made. But he's been, uh, you know, among the the top rookies, I think, um, in this league, in this uh, in this draft class. You know, if you look just based on stats alone, that's obviously not going to be the case. But when you look at what he does. Um, just off the page and, and things like that. He's he's among the best, uh, that, that especially defensively, that I think this class has had. Yeah, honestly, it's been like a, a really just – when you look at Matisse, I in my bold predictions, I had him making an all-rookie uh, second team. And then I also had him making an all-defensive team, and like, like at, at the beginning of the season. And I, I really think that, like, if the season doesn't, like, resume and they all just kind of, like, you know, come out with the, you know, the all-rookie teams and everything else in between – I guess, Cam, I'll start with you first. Do you think that Matisse would be in, like an all-defensive team member right now? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Definitely um, all-rookie team member. And then I was just thinking about this. If there was a uh, rookie, like, defensive player of the year, kind of like how the NFL does for offensive and defense, I feel like Matisse would definitely be that guy. Uh, like you said, like you and Cody said, uh, very good perimeter defender, very good on-ball guy. And for him to make this kind of impact in this first year on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, that's just very good to see. I mean, you know, the Sixers, one of the best defensive teams in the league and to have Matisse bring that kind of production off the bench, 
Um, it's just good for the team overall. And that shows how he really kind of saw where he could make his mark just early in his career. Now, Cody, question for you, man. Now, Matisse, Matisse didn't make the, uh, the Rising Stars Challenge. He got snubbed. And, uh, and uh, his, his, his agent, Eric Goodwin, came out with a, uh, a statement calling the assistant coaches ass assistant coaches, <laughs> you know, emphasis on, on the ass part of it. I'm going to let you let your imaginations wander. Do you think Matisse should have made a Rising Stars Challenge? And why do you think he didn't? Um, you know, I didn't. I haven't looked at the rosters uh, basically since that that game uh, in February. But I remember writing that story uh, from his agent of calling out the assistant coaches and and thinking that he he probably didn't deserve to be on that team. And I think it was based on how the the kind of structure of the of the rosters laid out. Whereas um, you know, it's the USA versus the world format, and so based on that structure that they have um you know I, I agreed with it um and so first off I don't really know that his agent calling out the assistant coaches was probably something that that Matisse wanted or you know anything like that it wasn't a great look but that being that being that and aside from that you know I, I think that he he was probably deserving of of a, of a spot in that game if if you just take the you know, top 20 players, uh, rookies um, from that class, no format um, being, you know, no format there. And so be, just because of his defensive ability and, you know, he really proved to be, he struggled some with his shot at Washington and he really improved that by all accounts. And I think what, what makes him so special defensively is his IQ on the court, knowing where to be. You don't often see that with first-year players right off the bat. And so I think uh, from that aspect, he deserved, um, you know, one of the, the top 20 spots regardless of, you know, um, origin and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, his basketball IQ has actually risen because I remember in, in preseason, the, the amount of stupid fouls that he would commit, and even in the beginning of the season, I remember it was a game against um, – there was a game against Denver at home. He did commit, like, really one dumb foul – and Brett kind of pulled him aside and said, hey, you can't do that. But then he kind of kept showing his trust in Matisse. And, like, Matisse actually had a huge part of the Sixers actually locking down Denver to win that game and go on uh, to get it done. So Matisse's basketball IQ has continued to rise. It's been very, very impressive. So with the NBA season on hold, a lot of people's attention has kind of been turning to the draft. Now, the draft right now is scheduled for June 25th. That's probably not happening. It's probably going to be pushed back. But the Sixers right now do have the 22nd pick. Now, there are a couple of things that this team needs. They need a stretch four. They need a floor spacer. They need a floor spacer, another floor spacer, and everything in order to make sure this offense actually does anything well. So there are a couple of guys I kind of had in mind. There were like there are three shooters that like really impressed me. One of them is Jemias Ramsey out of Texas Tech. Another one is Aaron Nesmith from uh, Vanderbilt. And this guy, he's not really a shooter, but he can be one. It's Kira Lewis Jr. Uh, from Alabama. So how, out of those three, which one do you feel like would fit the Sixers the best? You know, I, I definitely agree with you that, that they need shooting. And so when, and, and, and really when, when you look at it, there's a lot of, you know, different needs that, that some of these teams kind of need. And so, 
when you when you start looking at that, um, you know, Lewis was a guy that that really kind of jumped off the page page at me because you know he he can score kind of in transition, and that's obviously that's something that that a lot of teams covet and and need, especially considering um, you know the pace uh, of the NBA. And so when you get when you get you know he's been in that range, um, and that's the, the that's the thing too is some of those guys depending on which mock draft that you follow, um, you know, and, and things like that may be off the board by then. And so those guys are all kind of right in their range for the Sixers in that 19 to 22 kind of range, right, right before where they pick. And so when you look at that and, and considering that the Sixers are so dangerous when they, when they can get out on the floor and, and, and really let Ben Simmons do his thing. And so when you when you kind of look at that, I, I like Lewis a lot. Obviously, he's a he's a good scorer and, and can be you know maybe a guy that they can rely on at, at point guard when Ben's off the floor or if they want to run just kind of different looks and, and things like that. So Lewis of those of those three kind of stood out for me. All right, so Cam, I wanted to ask you about the I went about the same thing. There's kind of been three guys that have like kind of been pushed out to me for, for the Sixers, and, and it's those three that I just mentioned. Um, yeah. I actually did one on Aaron Nesmith this morning. I didn't realize Nesmith was shooting 52% from deep for, for Vanderbilt. And it was on all oh, attempts. Oh, how many attempts? Eight. Oh, wow. And, I mean, granted, he only played 14 games because his season got cut short because of a, uh, a right foot injury. And, and that's why I think that he, maybe he could possibly even slide the Philly at 22. I know okay. uh, Cody over at Rookie Wire, Brian, he had uh, Nesmith going 18th to Dallas. But, Cam, do, do, I mean, if, if Nesmith is there at 22, do you take him? Yeah, I mean, 14 games, that's not like a huge, huge sample size. But the three guys that you mentioned are definitely, I think, good fits. Jemias Ramsey, just from watching him, He's an athletic guy that I think would pair well with Ben Simmons. I mean, I think Ben Simmons just needs more athletes around him. Uh, What do you mean, man? Al Horford's not an athlete? uh, I mean, maybe about (laughs) eight years ago or so, but not not really right now. But um, I've talked about this before just with some of my friends. I think Ben Simmons really needs – if he doesn't have that rim runner kind of guy like Montrez Harrell, he needs that athletic wing beside him. So he can get up and down and, as Cody mentioned, do what he does best in transition because I think that's where he is um, his best version of himself. So I think Jemias Ramsey is, you know, one of the – I mean, just from watching his stuff, he's a really good guy in transition, and I think that he would be beneficial in Philly. But Philly also has to be more consistent about playing in transition because sometimes they just kind of get bogged down in the half court and that's where they really start to falter on things. So I think if they can get, you know, more in trans, more out in transition and more out on the break, then Jemias Ramsey can just kind of slide right in and be the perfect fit. But you mentioned the half court offense and, and that's where I think Nesmith would be like an absolute perfect yeah. fit. Like just because he's one of those, he, he kind of reminds me of JJ Redick a little bit just because he can run off of screens and find his okay. spot on the floor. And the half court offense is where they've just, they've been an absolute right. disaster. So right. in, in, in terms of like the, the draft prospects that, that I just mentioned, at least those three, I feel like Nesmith would probably be the best fit. I do believe, I don't, I don't I just, I'm not entirely sure if he's going to be there at 22 just because of he was leading the SEC in scoring at 23 points per game before his injury. And like I said, shot 52% from deep on 8.2 attempts per game, something like that. It was something absolutely ridiculous. And then you also have to consider the fact that he was hurt. 
So h- how is he going to re- how is he going to respond to a right foot injury? How is he going to respond, you know, to you know playing at a quicker level than he did in college while also coming off an injury? So I mean, like, like there, there's a lot of things to really consider there, and that's why I think maybe Jamias Ramsey would probably be the safest pick. But if Nesmith is there at 22, I, I mean, I would, I'm definitely, I would definitely like strongly consider that. And Cody, another guy I had in mind, speaking of stretch fours, would be Jalen Smith from Maryland. I know he shot 38% from deep. And I mean, he's, he plays power forward. He averages 15 and 10. We all know the Al Horford, Joel Embiid duo has not really worked out in Philadelphia, at least not offensively. What about Jalen Smith? Could Smith come in here and actually, you know, make, make an impact? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think where, where the Sixers are, and I'm, I, we were just talking about Matisse coming in, like, kind of immediately. But, you know, I almost think that w- whichever prospect they go with, um, you know, will they need them to come in immediately and, and play big-time minutes? And so I think for a lot of these guys that they could consider, you know, they can kind of maybe give them, obviously, off the bench and, and give them some minutes there. And so I think that it's almost a good situation in that regard just because that they're not going to be they're not going to be a high draft pick. They're not going to be tasked with coming in and making a huge impact immediately. And so I think that you can kind of bring if, you know, if they were to go in the direction of Jalen Smith, then obviously he's, he's a good, he's a good, a solid two-way option because of his, uh, you know, his shot blocking ability and his ability to stretch the floor. As you mentioned, uh, Kai, that that's something that the Sixers desperately need. And so, you know, you can kind of yes. plug him in there and, and he has that prototypical that game that that will translate over uh, into the NBA, and so I think that's somebody that that I think a lot of mocks have them a little bit lower uh, in the first round. I know Brian has him twenty six on in ours, and, and Brian's done a, a phenomenal job with all of our with a lot of our twenty twenty draft stuff, uh, not only for us but for hoop type as well. So um, he had him a little bit lower certainly in the range of where the Sixers could be. I think the biggest thing that is on the, on the mind of a lot of people, if you're Philadelphia at 22, do you draft best player available or do you draft for need? I think you got to go with um, a mix of both. I think it's like, okay, who's the best player available at the need, at the position that we need, you know? So if a guy um, like Ramsey is available, then, you know, you take him. If Lewis is available, you take him and so on. So I think that they need to go for need, but they also need to see, you know, out of that need, who is the best player left on the board? Uh, Because once you get to that, you know, pick range around early twenties, you're not even really picking for best available at that point, because you're probably not in a position as a franchise where it's like, okay, we need the absolute best player. The Sixers, they're not, you know, tanking or anything. They're a playoff team, so they just need to fill some areas where they're lacking. Yeah, tanking is a four-letter word in Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> Cody, what do, what do you think, man? If you're the Sixers here, do you draft best player available or best or, or fit? Yeah, I think that was a great point by Cam because typically at that at that range in, in the draft, the first round certainly, you know, you're not really sure what what you're going to get. There, are, for instance, in the 2019 class, there are some players that were taken, you know, later in the first round that that barely played in the NBA. They spent the majority of the year in the G League. And so, you know, we've seen the Sixers kind of do that in the past with some of their some of their players, put them in the G League and things like that. Not to say that whichever player they lean toward this year will have, will have the same kind of trajectory there. But I think definitely a mix of both and probably at that range, like Cam pointed out, you're going to probably 
go based on a need a little bit. So if there's a, a shooter there, if there's a point guard there that you that you really like, um, you know, I was going to say if if there's a player there that really blew you away in, in workouts, then you go with them. Obviously, there's no workouts happening at the moment, and that's kind of up in the air. So it's it's really a, a struggle to that point. Uh, but at the same point, um, you know, a, a mixture of both probably would be would be my guess for, for the Sixers. Now, another kind of, I guess, need this team really needs is probably a backup point guard to Ben. Just because, like, over the past years, they've had T.J. McConnell, who McConnell always did a really solid job. But McConnell's gone. He's with the Indiana Pacers now. So the, the Sixers tried Howell Neto. They tried Trey Burke. Neto is this, you know, he's kind of like, meh. But then, like, you get Burke, who was really a weird situation because Brett Brown said he wanted Trey Burke to be, like, their next Allen Iverson. But then he didn't even play after that. And then they released him to make the move for Alec Burks. It was just, the Trey Burke situation was just really strange, I'll, I'll say. And then you don't know, even know if Burks is going to be back next year because he's a free agent and he's probably not going to want to come off the bench. So would you look at a Trey Jones? Would you look at, like, more seriously, a guy like Trey Jones or maybe even Nico Mannion or maybe even uh, – or, or maybe seriously consider Kira Lewis, Kira Lewis Jr. as kind of like that backup guard, Cody? Yeah, I think, um, you know, and talking to Brian, who's put together a lot of our draft stuff for 2020, he was very high on, on Trey Jones there. Uh, for the Sixers, he has them going to the Sixers at 22 in our latest mock draft on Rookie Wire. And so when you look at just kind of the experience that he would bring uh, to the position would be something that I think would be an upgrade over a, a Nico Mannion, for instance, where who was a player that a lot believe he'll need and you know some time to kind of develop and I even heard a few people kind of mention he should go back to school and for another year obviously that's a personal choice that he made it to come out and you know we can't fault him for that but I think Trey Jones would probably be um, a good answer there if he is on the board and especially considering his defensive ability and just the way he can lead a team on the court that's something that obviously Ben is really great at doing among the best in the league and so when you can get somebody that can kind of command the team uh, and spot minutes off the bench or, or in whatever role that they decide for them, I think Trey Jones would be a good pick. Cam, what do you think? I definitely agree. As we talked about, yeah, on the last podcast, Trey Jones being that traditional point guard where it's like, okay, you run the offense, you're the floor general, and then you lock up your guy. I mean, he's one of the best defenders in this draft, especially on the perimeter. I think that would serve the Sixers well, especially you bring you continue to bring Matisse Thibel off the bench. And it's like, hey, we have the perimeter locked down when um, our bench guys come in. So you really have no drop off there, um, you know, once the starters come out. And Trey Jones, he can also help facilitate too. So I just think that would be a nice fit for them. Um, and then, as I mentioned, I think it's more so – about Ben Simmons' uh, development offensively because, you know, I don't think the Sixers really need a, a score score at the point guard position off the bench. I think that um, Ben – they would be better served with Ben, you know, having more offensive development. I will say that if, they, if either of Lewis Jr. or Nesmith, like, are there at 22, I feel like you can't let either of them pass by. Now – I think um, I think Brian had Ramsey actually going 15th, as high as 15th in the right. latest mock. So, I mean, Ramsey's stock is is uh, is rising. I know Lewis's stock is rising as well. Like I, I remember seeing um, early mock drafts have Lewis going in like the second round, 
but now he, you know, he is in like the 22, 19, 18 range. So it's definitely really interesting to kind of see how all these rookies are, are rising. It's obviously it's not, it's not a usual year, Cody. We have no March madness. We have no conference tournament, NCAA tournament. And all we have is a regular season and kind of like videotape that we have to look at. Does it make it tougher for a team to make a pick like that, especially in a draft where it's kind of, it's a very unpredictable draft, a little bit of an underwhelming draft overall compared to others? Yeah, I think so. I think you're really going to have to rely on your scouting departments in, in this time of year. And obviously we're not sure at what point does our teams allowed to, to talk to prospects uh, in person, have them in for workouts because they can only – they only recently, the NBA only recently allowed teams to have virtual meetings uh, with prospects. And so obviously a lot happens behind the scenes and workouts where you can really find out what kind of guy, what guys are like in, in workouts against good competition, what they're like, you know, in interview settings and so on and so forth. So I think there's just a lot of teams just kind of up in the air, like most are around this time. And, and so when you're hearing things like the, teams want the NBA draft to be pushed back from June 25th to no earlier than August 1st. And there's, there's a big, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they have to do. And when you consider the, the financial commitment, these teams are making to players in this, in this draft range, um, you not, not only for this season, but for the first four or five years of their rookie contracts, you know, they want to make sure that they're doing their due diligence and, and getting all the information at hand that they can in order to make that selection. And, I, and of course, the situation is not great for everyone, uh, given the circumstances going on in the world, but these teams would like more information than the way they current, currently have uh, heading into the draft. All right, Cody, now a couple more things before we, before we wrap this up. Who is your biggest draft bust from the last five years? Like, like if you had to think about it, last five years, who's the biggest draft bust? Man, you're putting me on the spot. Cam, do you have one ready? Why don't you go first? <laughs> uh, For him, he's going to say uh, Anthony Bennett. <laughs> no, because that's not that's not five. That was the 2013 draft. Oh, you're right. That's my fault. That is. But okay. um, I would say him if yeah, if, uh, it was like last ten or something. But the last five, I'd have to say, huh? I, I I'm thinking yeah, Anthony Bennett. But yeah, that was 2013. Anthony mm. Bennett was a serious bust, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah very big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Dragon Bender, Dragon Bender. I was actually going to mention Bender. Yeah, Dragon Bender. Honestly, Dragon Bender to me though was like, what are you? Was like the definition of a what are you doing? Like that pick came out of nowhere. You could also make a case for Jaleel Okafor. Yeah, this. this yeah, you, you uh, could. You could. Because He's having a resurgence though, past year or two though. Alex well, Lynn too. Definitely did. I mean, he. To Cody's point, I will give Jalil this. At, at least he's actually like doing something down in New Orleans. I'll give him that. Right. That's the uh, thing. Another one could be Thon Maker. I mean, he was picked tenth. Yeah. I mean, does does Maker count? Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I would say he's he's a relative. I mean, he's still on. He's a bench player, but there's a lot Chris of upside Dunn? with him. Huh? What, about, what about Chris Dunn? Yeah, he's up there. I mean, I Dunn feel was, like he wasn't was as highly because Dunn was picked fifth. Like, it's not like Chris Dunn was like some. Yeah like late round pick or something. True. I forgot like how highly touted he was, I guess. At Providence, like the whole thing was like all about Chris Dunn. But yeah. I'm going to what say What about this. Alex Lynn? I'm still saying Markel Fultz uh, as like my number one 
biggest draft bust of the last five years. Yeah, he's, he's having, you know, you mentioned, I'm, I'm in Orlando, as you mentioned, uh, when we started. And I was just thinking in my head, like, all right, I've covered this team, the Magic, for the past whatever amount of years, seven or eight years, whatever it's been. And I know that they, they've, had, they've had to have had a few over the years. Um, and I'm, as I'm looking at it, Mario Hazonia was one that, for being, the bad. Fifth, for being yeah. the fifth pick, there was a lot of hope, on, a lot of expectation on, right. on him, and, and that didn't pan out. And um, obviously last year, Chuma Okiki didn't play with the injury, so jury's still out on him. But for Markel Fultz, though, um, obviously being drafted where he was was and, and seeing what he's done since then, and he's yet to complete a full season of basketball. Uh, it was He was on pace to do it this year. Obviously, with what's happening, that's not going to happen. But, um, you know, I think he's, he, he's probably not ever going to live up to those expectations. But he, he's, he had a solid year this season in Orlando. I'll say that. Right. Solid. I, I don't know. On, the la- on, on two podcasts ago, Cam and I got into, like, this crazy argument about Markel. So, like, I'm just as a guy who's covered the Sixers the past three years and kind of, like, been around Markel and, like, you look at the number one overall draft pick kind of stuck to his name is probably unfortunate. But, I don't know, 12 and 5 is not going to cut it. Like, like for me to be like, oh, yeah, Markel Fultz, great pick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> It was like, his first like, full season, Kai. I don't want to like, hear it. I really don't. Everything off the floor. I can't do it, Cam. I can't do it. Can't do it. Kai, I know you're. you've said – to us that you're a Pistons fan so I can't even really call you like a a sixer a bitter Sixers fan but you sound like one right now no but listen here's why though here here's why though man here's why given uh picked first overall he had that first year where you know he had the off the court issues and then the, the weird bizarre shoulder injury that nobody even knew what it was his rookie year he comes back triumphantly for the final 10 games of that regular season Brett Brown really hands him the backup point guard position. Clearly, he wasn't ready. So in game one against Miami, he goes back to T.J. McConnell, and Markel's camp has a big issue and has, causes all these issues. And it's like, yo, why is T.J. McConnell playing over Markel Fultz? Then in his second year, he's healthy, and he hands him the starting job. What the hell did Markel Fultz do to earn the starting job over one of the best shooters this league has ever seen in J.J. Redick? I don't get it. He gift wraps him. Here you go, Markel. Here's your starting job. Here you go, buddy. Gives him the starting job in Philadelphia. Does a terrible job with it. Then benches him again in order to make Jimmy Butler work. And then his camp says, you know what? You're going to go to New York and go see a shoulder specialist. We're not going to tell Elton. We're not going to tell nobody. And then we're going to give him a call. Hey, Elton, by the way, Markel's not coming to practice today. He's going to New York. No heads up. Nothing. Terrible. I don't like it. It's poor taste. (laughs) Awful. <laughs> I'll give you that. There's been a lot of back channeling and a lot of behind the scenes that a lot of us aren't aren't privy to. And hey, just be thankful of being it, being there covering the team. You got a ton of coverage. Right. Things to write about. Over this the- is true, but covering Markel gave me headaches. I'm sure. <laughs> like I, I, had, I had a bottle of like Advil ready to go. Like whenever I went to the arena or to practice yeah. or anything and preparing for Markel up, I'll put up in quotations updates. Like I'm so happy. I was I was very excited to see he got traded to Orlando. I was like, he's magic beat writers problems now. Go ahead. I fun. think it was a good spot for a landing spot for him. Just to oh, for sure. 
you know, just uh, Orlando is, is not the biggest market in the league, obviously, so it gives him a chance to kind of almost fly under the radar. But being the number one pick, he's still going to have some attention to him. And I haven't been around him too much this season. I haven't been to that many games. But from what I've heard uh, from from those that I do know that cover the team, he's been, you know, he's been a, a pleasure to cover. And so I wish him nothing but the best. Me too. I just have, I'm just happy I don't got to come for him no more. Yeah. Kai, <laughs> and then I got to mention to you, talk about the uh, bust. Now, this player isn't necessarily a bust, but he did flame out quick. Top three pick, Evan Turner. He had like, what, two good seasons, and then it was <sighs> over. Yeah, Evan Turner was another bad one. He was picked second overall. What was yeah. that? The, uh, I think he that was the out that, real quick. That was the John Wall draft, right? 2010? I believe so. I think that was. I think that was the John Wall draft. Because I remember Wall, I think it was. Wall went one, and then Turner went right after him. And I remember Evan Turner had a hell of a career at, at Ohio State. Like, like Turner was yeah. very, very highly touted coming out of Ohio State. And yeah. people were like, oh, would you rather pick Wall or Turner? Like, there was actually, like, a little debate there for a hot second. So, that, like, yeah, Evan Turner had, uh, he had two good seasons. That was it. And the thing is, though, where is he now? He got traded. He got He's in Minnesota right now, right? Yeah, he hasn't I, – I think that's right. He hasn't played, and there was talk of a buyout, but I don't know that that ever came. So, I haven't he turned never, He's not a consistent shooter. Well, I mean, he, he was never really much of a shooter. Like, that, yeah. that was kind of like his big issue. Cody, as we wrap it up, man, who is your – I want to ask you, who's your favorite prospect from this draft? Favorite prospect? I do like Trey Jones, though. Uh, I don't know – if I have a favorite one uh, to sidestep your question, but I do like Trey Jones just as that, that almost veteran guy as veteran as he can be uh, as a sophomore. But I'm tr- I'm fascinated with LaMelo ball because he, I like his skills on the court. I'm very curious to see where he goes and what he can develop into. He was, he was fun to cover this season, you know, from afar with his time in the NBL in Australia, but I'm very fascinated with him as a, as a prospect to see where he lands. And obviously he needs a lot of work on, on defense. And so there are, you know, reports that the Warriors aren't high on him with the potential number one pick, should they land it? And I mean, that makes sense, but you know, if you're the Warriors, like are you drafting best available, maybe trade it out or by knee? They're in a weird spot, I would have to say. But LaMelo is definitely, I think. Okay. Now, one final thing. I know Detroit's drafting fifth. Who, who, who do you think Detroit could get at five? In Wait, the, are, but I thought, isn't the draft lottery not really set? Uh, the draft lottery is not really set. So, I mean, like, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, Cam, you, know, you, you never know where they're going to be selecting. But right now, they would be picking fifth. So who, who who you got, Cody? I mean, I don't know who Brian has uh, Detroit picking at five. Uh, Brian, uh, we have uh, James Wiseman at five. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> He's a huge upgrade over Andre Drummond. A huge upgrade. James Wiseman. Yeah. I like it. And so with that trade of Andre Drummond, I think that it almost feels like that opened the door. Yes. Goodbye, Andre Drummond. Hello, James Weissman. We can move forward. I like it. I like it. Yeah, have fun with Andre Drummond in Cleveland, Cam. Have fun with that, buddy. Yeah. Okay. We are going to wrap it up right there because, because if we don't, Cam and I will go at it for like another 20 minutes. So, Cody, thank you so much for joining us, dude, and giving us all Thanks, the insight man. on all these rookies and everything else in between. Thank you for taking time out of your day, man. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Anytime. Cam, you're my guy. Cody, once again, thank you. With that said, 
We're out. We'll see you guys next time on the Bell Ringer podcast.